Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening. Um, I'm Christopher Hooten, as I am most days of my human life. Um, I'm coach editor at The Independent, and this is episode three of Kernels. It's been a couple of weeks since I last spoke to you now, um, the majority of which has been kind of taken up with the Oscars, um, and my woeful predictions, most of which were all wrong. I kind of thought La La Land was going to sweep the board, and ultimately it missed out on a lot of the technical awards it thought we thought it would, sound editing and sound mixing. But, I mean, no one's going to remember any of that anyway, because the whole night was overshadowed by the the snafu, the, the gaff, the mix-up, whatever word you generally don't use in everyday life that people seem to bring up when these sorts of things happen, whatever you want to refer it to as. Um, yeah, so I was I was working through the night on it with my team. We were kind of remarking on how it had been kind of a boring night, even though we expected it to be, you know, one of the biggest Oscars in history with Trump hanging heavy over it. And we're like, ah, oh, not not a lot has really happened. Yeah, Kimmel's tweet, live tweeted Trump, uh, and then suddenly this <laughs> this screw up, which was just unreal. Like of all the, of all the categories it could have happened on, of all the years it could have happened in it happened to happen on best picture and on this award that had become such a big kind of tussle between la la land the kind of filmmakers critics film and moonlight this film just so adored by the public and adored for kind of what it represents and the topics it's about and yeah initially everyone was just stunned then they were angry for a little while and then everyone just kind of I think, well, not everyone, but I think some people managed to see the kind of the poetry in it. Barry Jenkins, I think, the director of Moonlight, I think he ultimately described it as messy but kind of gorgeous in just in the way that the La La Land producers kind of having this slow realisation of what happened and then passing over the award to their to their peers was this kind of nice moment, you know. Like people, I don't think anyone assumes that there's antagonism between the people who are nominated and that there's this fierce rivalry or anything. But at the same time, you forget that these guys are all on the same award tour with each other. They've, a lot of them have probably worked together before, and they see each other all the time, and there's, there's not this division at all, and actually it's like, oh, yeah, these guys won. I'm really pleased with them. We probably had coffee or a beer last night, you know? Even though the Academy was mortified, I think ultimately it kind of worked in their favour. It was, it was quite a nice event, and I'm sure it did them a, a big favour in terms of um, ratings. So, yeah, Oscars took up most of my week last week this week uh, the most my most noticeable film moment was I went to see an advanced screening of Song to Song which is Terence Malik's new film with enviable cast of Ryan Gosling Rooney Mara Michael Fassbender and Natalie Portman um, it's gonna it premiered at South by Southwest over the weekend and uh, he's a polarising director to say the least <laughs> a lot of people will kind of count out his films at least at least recently is cinematic wankery um you might 
probably won't have seen Knight of Cups. It didn't get much of a release, at least in the UK. Um, you might remember him from Tree of Life, which is that that one where it's Brad Pitt and uh, having like a 1950s domestic drama interspersed with long shots of the universe. <laughs> Which just didn't, even though it's sometimes heralded as like one of the best films of the decade, just didn't work for me at all. Um, I actually found the extended shots of the universe the most compelling part about it, and the kind of dreary family drama didn't do it so much. Um, so I don't know. Malik's been he's had a weird a weird few films in recent years. I went in with kind of low expectations, and then was just slowly, slowly just completely won over by it. It's 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 his usual style of this kind of collage of of moments and the way he uses the camera and the way he presents conversations between people and it is it is out there very out there lots of it's a familiar topic he's not breaking new ground there it's about relationships and about people being shitty to each other and cheating on each other and then ultimately getting drawn back into each other's orbits and not really able to end these relationships and which you know we've seen time and time again in film but he does it in a really different way and the, the, that style he has, um, so that the camera's kind of following around the actors, almost kind of voyeuristically darting over their shoulder, and they're just kind of, they're interacting, but often they're not even talking, they're almost just like dancing around each other and being very tactile. And it just, it, it, it just, it worked this time. The style actually, it actually suited, suited the film. And by the end of it, I was like, I was pretty much shaking coming out the the screening, which is a feeling I've not had for a very long time, in the same way as you might a film like Magnolia or something. Um, you know, usually I'll come out of a cinema, I'll, I'll stick in my headphones, and I'll be able to immediately, you know, tune into something else, even if even if I've really enjoyed the film. But this, you know, it felt wrong to. I had to just kind of <laughs> compute it for a while as I walked to the tube station. So it was a, yeah, I want to see it again. I want to put myself through it again. It was a brutal experience. It runs the full range of emotions, but... Um, it's going to be interesting to see how how the, what the response is like. I'm sure there'll be people that absolutely hate it and just dismiss it as just avant-garde nonsense, but I think there'll be also a fair share of people that could really see the value in it. So, yeah, um, there's no release date for that film yet. Hopefully it'll get more of a release than Night of Cups, but I'm sure we'll keep you posted on indie film as and when. So the guest on the podcast this week is Bob Odenkirk. I caught up with him in Berlin, of all places. He's been busy down in Albuquerque shooting Better Call Saul recently and he's uh, he's a lovely man um, you kind of forget having you know most of us just know him from Breaking Bad you forget that he spent the vast majority of his career as a, as a comedian as a stand-up comedian um, and that's given him a really kind of unique route into into doing film and then into doing dramatic roles which is something we talk about a lot and he's just a very humble guy after the thing he seemed very very conscious, very self-conscious, very nervous, kind of like, was that, was that okay? Did I, did I do all right? Um, so, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to him, and I hope you enjoy our chat. How's Berlin treating you? Have you managed to get out much? Yeah, last night we got out. My son is with me, Nathan, and um, we got to a little tour by the van driver who they uh, lent to us for the evening, and he took us to the site of Hitler's bunker. Right. I haven't done that that tour. Well, it's not really much of a tour. There's just a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. But there's a plaque up. Uh, and um, and then he took us to this neighborhood, this very cool neighborhood where, anyway, a restaurant recommended by a friend of mine. I have a friend who lives here. Cool. Yeah. yeah. 
I tried to. I, I went for some curry vest again last night, but I still can't is get it, into that. You you can't. What? Can't. What? We haven't. We're gonna try it. It's in theory sausage covered in sauce sounds great. Right. But every time sounds I do awesome. it, I'm like, it's, this is not good. It it's not good. No. Why the sauce or the sausage or both? I think it's just. I think it's probably more that you hate yourself afterwards. I think. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I actually um, I watched uh, Girlfriend's Day in my hotel room. Oh, did you like it? I did. Yeah. All right. I don't know what they shot it on, but it looks amazing. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's digital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rich Wong, the DP, is a guy named Rich Wong, young guy who um, did a great job, and uh, Michael Stevenson, who directed it. The two of those guys came up with that look. Yeah. And it it just feels like a classic film, which was what we wanted it to feel like, without being a parody. But nearly a parody. Yeah, you had that like noir thing going. Yes. Didn't yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that an idea you had kicking around for? A, oh, a while? that script has been on my desk for thirteen years. Yeah, just sitting there, and every once in a while, I pick it up, do a little rewrite, punch it up, write a little scene, come up with a some little notion for it. It just always made me happy, and yeah. uh, and so you know, Netflix is a perfect place for. It's not. It's not even a real feature length. It's sixty five minutes. It couldn't play in theaters. There'd be no place for it. Yeah. And um, so Netflix is a place where you can do a project that is very offbeat like that. Yeah. But I think satisfying. I think fun. Fun to watch. Yeah. And I was going to say, because I'm, I'm making a film myself at the moment that's, I think, going to come out about 70 minutes. Yeah. So I was really heartened to see that you'd done that at 70 minutes, and that's okay. It doesn't matter that it's not short length or feature length. It felt like a movie, right? Yeah. It didn't feel like you needed another 15 no. minutes on it, right? Yeah. Just make it as long as it needs to be. And now with the mo- the platforms that we have, like Netflix now, there's a place for that film. Yeah, you just, however long the story takes is how Just long do that, be. yeah. I like that. Now, a lot yeah. of films, and you see this, the, the noir films that we were um, sort of in working within... Uh, in Girlfriend's Day, many of them were 65 minutes long mm. because they were built for a, a double feature oh, in the okay. 40s. Yeah. So a lot of those films were 65 to 70 minutes long. Uh, so we were actually sort of even even in that time capacity, we were we were working in the in the realm of, of noir film. But you know, also if you watch some movies. There will be an interlude in the middle that kind of feels like a time waster. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but you know Butch uh, uh, Sundance, Butch you know, Cassidy, yeah. yeah, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's that sequence where they're riding the bike around. Raindrops keep falling on yeah, my head. Yeah. Plays for like five fucking minutes. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what the fuck? It's nice to be able to experiment with length, though, because when you when you watch a film, you get so into this mindset of it's yeah. going to be somewhere between like ninety minutes and yeah. twenty, and you see, think, oh, so I've got this act to go left. So when yeah. it, if it cuts off a bit short or something, it's kind of surprising. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, keeps yeah. you on your feet. Yeah, keeps you I, on your I toes. Was about, I saw you. I was at the panel yesterday, and you were talking about um, uh, actors being able to move from comedy to drama, yeah. but not necessarily from drama to comedy. I have a theory on that that yeah. that comedy is often underpinned by sadness and. And a kind of a tragedy. There's like, there's often like, you know, like a self-deprecating nature where it comes from a place of, you you can feel the sadness underneath a lot of comedy. So I guess it makes sense in a way to yeah to out into a dramatic yeah, world, whereas so, going in the other direction is there's not that. Scope. Well, my observation, having been a writer at Saturday Night Live, where we would often get dramatic actors 
some of whom would be very funny, like John Malkovich was such a great host, but some who just laid there, um, is that I think that dramatic actors sometimes think comedy is just about being loud and sort of inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and they don't realize that it's not so much that there's subtlety in comedy, but there can be, but that it's about enjoying that modulation and, and knowing when to be broad and when to, to turn a corner and, you know, subtle it up as it were. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I just think they don't, they think that to be funny is to just turn everything up to 11 you know and it's not really true yeah. it's not really true it's it's more knowing how to um skip around on the modulation scale and and have fun with yeah, it it's having the confidence to deliver something a little bit more straight than going yeah I, it's a, yeah it's it's a tough call but i do think that in every year comic actors either in a feature film or in a tv series do some dramatic turn and everyone is very surprised. And um, I remember Martin Short on Damages did such a great job and it just seems to happen every year somewhere. Yeah. And uh, and I don't, I just think that, I agree with you that there's uh, maybe some sadness that they're connected to in yeah. comedy that you didn't see because they don't play it overtly. And then in drama, they you are allowed to show... Uh, sort of the deeper level of the character is it's okay to to just revel in that or immerse yourself in that and and they're able to do it and, yeah and then everyone's very shocked yeah yeah i guess like um like mark maron and lucy gay good examples of that like yeah with their shows they've yeah way less yeah. emphasis on the humor and more just the yeah the tragedy of the situation well i think too there's just honesty i mean louis is so honest in his comedy and and so when it comes to playing a dramatic moment well he's going to want to play it honestly and mm -hmm. and then it comes off uh authentic and and he's a great dramatic actor suddenly yeah which uh you know he, he is he's perfectly yeah, yeah. good and and very good in in playing himself yeah so i was thinking also about how you you've you got drawn to a lot of roles that this kind of like almost like a used car salesman kind of guy yeah. he's a little bit Rough around the edges, slightly untrustworthy. Does yeah. He, you're from like kind of small town Illinois, right? Yeah. And were you around those kind of characters at all? Like, is that partly where it's come well, from? Well, yeah. My father. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was a uh, funny guy. Yeah. He joked around a lot. Uh, you know, he was one of these salesmen who, who always had a bankroll in his pocket, but he had no money. He had no actual money. I mean, he had actual money, cash but it was borrowed. <laughs> so uh, I think a bit of a, of a person who worked the situation. He wasn't a used car salesman, but you know those people were around us. And, and certainly my dad and his friends were guys who were uh, on some level scamming uh, the world around them yeah. to get by. Yeah. Yeah, all of his friends ended up uh, bankrupt, uh, every one of them. Really? Yeah, they all ended up divorced, bankrupt, fucked. Damn. You spend much time back there, or? Uh, it's a nice area. Uh, Naperville, Illinois, is the town I'm from. It's 35 miles southwest of Chicago, and it's on the train line into Chicago. So people live there who who work in the city. Um, 
but it's a small it was a small town it was 20,000 people when I was first moved there and it's now 175,000 or 180 it's it's exploded with population but um yeah I go back there my mom lives there and my sister lives there yeah so yeah I go back it's it's a great little town it's just it's kind of a frustrating place for a teenager to you want to get out when you're yeah 14 sure. or 15 you want to Scoop. Go to the big city. Yeah. Go somewhere yeah. exciting. But you know, I guess more so than well, definitely more so than any Breaking Bad actors. You spent a lot of time in Albuquerque. I do spend about four and a half months out of the year in Albuquerque, yeah. which is a mid-sized, to smaller city in America. Yeah, I visited. It them. was larger, but a lot of people have left. There's no, there's no um, factories there anymore, and I think the town uh, will. It's made it made its bones as a way station on the highway on Route 66. Mm. That's why there were so many hotels in that town. If you drive down the main street, uh, Central, there are still uh, these beautiful neon signs for the old hotels that they've they've left the signs up, but they've taken the buildings down in many cases. The town was a very important stop over for people and trucks. Uh, driving across the country but of course then they built the interstate highway in probably the 60s or maybe the late 50s and once they built enough highway you didn't need to stop anymore you could just keep driving straight Mm -hmm. through so that deprived the town of a lot of business it's a town that's uh, taken some pretty hard knocks like many uh mid-sized cities in america it's had a rough time yeah yeah i mean i don't know if you could see it but maybe you could yeah driving around you know every other building would often be like be vacant and yes you know, no yeah. windows and stuff yeah but yeah it's an inherently quite cinematic place isn't it like you say with it the is. signs and with the, with the sky mm, yeah. i mean the sky there's this very strange experience of um it's almost like you can feel the earth's curve curvature wherever you stand in Albuquerque because the sky is so big and there's the mountains on one side but you just can almost see the earth curving around you it's like super high altitude right oh it's 5300 feet yeah and then it goes up to uh 7300 I believe up in the up in the Sandia mountains um does it make a difference filming out there in, in terms of how the production feels when you're away from as opposed to somewhere like LA, do you feel like yeah. you're you you got your team out there making this little thing together? Oh yeah, it's not such a big kind of expectation yeah. and sort of. Um, I mean, obviously, it's still a huge production, but yeah, I mean, sticking a crew out in the middle of nowhere like that is a very good thing for um, focusing everyone yeah. <laughs> on the moments and and the story uh, as it's created. Um, you you really everybody's got their head in the same story you know and uh that's very helpful and then it's a very easy town to use we have these awesome studios called q studios these Mm. modern studios that are amazing there's not a lot like them even in los angeles um and uh and as well the town which we shoot a lot of location in albuquerque the town is very cooperative and it's it's very easy to use relative to LA. Like you can take the whole circus, which is all the crew and yeah. and all the trucks across town. We we often do that twice in one day, 
And that's just impossible. That would be impossible in Los Angeles. So as a result, we get to do more location shooting, which is more of a filmic look. You're using the whole world. And, uh, you know, we can use restaurants and parks and, you know, the streets uh, are very usable for us, you know. Yeah. It's a great thing. And the city looks amazing. The, The lighting, I mean... Because of the altitude, I think, and because of whatever. I mean, light is different in every city, you know. And the light there is kind of special and gives us this... I think Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad, and Peter Gould, who uh, joined him on creating Better Call Saul, Peter wrote the first episode that featured Saul Goodman in in the Breaking Bad series. I think they both feel that it gives us a kind of a western like an old western type vibe yeah um and there are even scenes in breaking bad and even in saul that are kind of shot as a this this happens more than once uh in the course of a season that are kind of feel like showdowns or like face-offs old-time western face-offs you know yeah we shot a scene in season three man it felt like we should have had pistols on our hips. You know, it was just two people across this desert yeah. um, landscape facing off and then approaching each other and using words, but gunning each other down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thinking about that, actually, and like I've, I've spoken to Peter and Vince, who I think would be the first to admit this, that it's felt like they're trying to trying to work out what the tone is for the show and trying to yeah. get the balance right between is this a comedic thing is it is it a, like about like a small town courtroom drama is yeah. it a comedy is it a and you, you yes. said it in the in the, in the in season, season 3 i think it's more dynamic than ever which is to say there are sequences that are fairly much comic all the way through for a few minutes at a time and then there are incredibly dramatic uh, scenes that have no comic edge to them at yeah. all, <laughs> uh, mixed in right next to each other. It and then there are what I would call the gangster scenes uh, that I'm not necessarily in so yeah. much because the two worlds of Mike's world and Nacho's world and and Saul's world are are still parallel and just touching at points and they're but they're coming together yeah but when you go to those scenes with the gangsters i mean that's a different vibe than uh than the stuff with saw which yeah you know i find myself one day on saw doing something that almost feels like mr show uh, the sketch show i did in america and then the next day playing a very intense very heartfelt dramatic uh, moment you know yeah it's really wild and wonderful. I mean, I'm when when those things happen is when I really realize that uh, that this role is really something I should you know that'll probably never be repeated for me. Yeah. It, because it's not really any any nobody gets a chance to do this. Yeah. It's anywhere. Just a huge part of your life as well. So. Yeah, but also it just it doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, even in other TV shows, they they. If they're drama, they're more purely drama. Mm. And if they're in even in feature films, maybe the scene, maybe you get to have one dramatic scene or two, and then the rest of the film is more comic, you know. Yeah. For, but to keep getting to go to these different places and to and to juxtapose 
that kind of performance throughout multiple episodes is just an incredible experience. Yeah. I like that you said that we get to see Saul Goodman as if he's like a monster that comes down from the hills in season three. He's a monster, but he doesn't come down from the hills. He comes comes out from inside (laughs) like Alien. He comes shooting out from the chest. Uh, Yes, but in season three, we get to see Saul Goodman, but not in the form that you ultimately see him in in Breaking Bad. You yeah. you you see a version of Saul Goodman, and he is called Saul Goodman. Nice. Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler, but not really, <laughs> because it's not what you expect. But it's fun. It's very much fun. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Cool, buddy. Cool. Right. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, both. Thanks was so that much. good? Was yeah, that, that good? Was great, Did yeah. I sound like an idiot? No, you didn't sound Did like I an idiot. Did I talk too much? Cool, so that was episode three of Kernels. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do please remember to subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use, on iTunes. If you could leave us a review, that would really help us out. Um, it boosted us up the charts last week, which has been fantastic. And I sincerely thank everyone for who made that happen. Um, and yeah, you can also like keep in touch with what other guests we've got coming up and other stuff on our Twitter and Instagram accounts, which are just at Kernels for Twitter and at Kernels Podcast for Instagram. All right, thanks, and I'll I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.